This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We've got a great panel this morning. I want to introduce them. This is Clayton Small. He and his wife, Courtney, do an outstanding job with Ark Youth. Very impressed with not only do, the, do our, our students have fun, they're learning, they're growing. He has a great heart for our young people. Appreciate him. We have... Um, This is Dr. Ellen Moore, and Dr. Ellen Moore has a doctorate in child education and leadership and has been our children's pastor for 13 years. She's done an outstanding job of creating curriculum and environments for your kids, and uh, she has been a huge blessing to us as, as a church. Give her a hand clap as, as well. The next individual needs so much introduction, but I don't... I don't. <laughs> I don't have the time. Matt, Matt uh, is our oldest son. He also handles our media and a lot of the creative aspects that you, that you see here at the Ark. But he also heads up a ministry called MCM. And yesterday, they just built their 40th playground in Kenya. That's done by a team here from the Ark there in Kenya right now. My darling wife, Joy, who you know, who did an outstanding job uh, last week, uh, preaching on a tough, tough topic, but she did, uh, she did a good job. So, and away we go. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Um, as you can see underneath that screen right there, we have a number. You can text into that number at any time. Uh, it's pretty anonymous. Uh, I say pretty because it's still your phone number. Um, <laughs> We're going to try to answer as many questions as we possibly can, but obviously we can't get to all of them. You can go online. Uh, we'll have these posted services. All three are going to be different, and you can watch all three online on Facebook or YouTube. So you want to check those out just in case your question didn't get answered here. So first service was a huh. So let's go for second service. Okay. <laughs> all right, first question. This one goes to you, Dad. It says, um, what is your favorite feature of your oldest son? Okay. Um, we'll just skip that one. We'll go to, we'll go to the next question. I was going to say your nose. <laughs> it still stings. Okay. All right, this one's for mom and dad. We'll just say, make it safer. Please be nice, mom. Okay, um, our kids are grown up and gone. Our house is empty. What do my husband and I do now? <laughs> if we have to tell you, you're way too late. Uh, um, you, okay, I'll, I'll answer that first. I, I think the challenge is, is before you empty nest, you want to make sure that you're not building your, your entire life only around your kids. Um, if you can begin to, to develop that relationship, because we raise kids to go. And, and I, used to t I used to tell Matt especially, uh, I chose your mother, we had you. you. You are leaving, she is staying, so get with the program. Um, the... the uh, very true story. The, the, <laughs> the voice of compassion. But uh, I, I, think, I think enjoy that time. It's a great season. And enjoy it. And, and trust me, your kids may be gone, but they're not gone. And uh, they're still in your life. 
you can still pray for them. You can still enjoy the time that you have with one another. I, I, I don't think of it as empty at all. I, I remember reading something right by Ruth Bell Graham, and she said her last child was, you know, going away, and she was dreading going home, and she opened the door, and she thought, the presence of God is still in my home. I still have the Lord. We still have each other. And I think through every season of life, if you'll ask the Lord, he can make it wonderful. In fact, my, our youngest son said to me, he said, why do you seem so happy since I left? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, you weren't actually my happiness. I said, Dad and I actually enjoyed each other before you came. Yes. And, um, and we'll enjoy each other after you're gone. I, yeah. <laughs> That was a revelation for Michael. <laughs> I think so. All right. Here's a question for Clayton. My teenagers will not come to church with us. How do I convince them that church is a good thing and get them to come? That's good. Um, convince them. I think the question probably should be shifted a little bit in terms of this. Um, you don't have to convince them to go to school. They have to go to school. And I think one of the things that can be really hard is what I've noticed is if a student even remotely begins to fade out, once that process begins, it's even harder to draw them back in. And so my encouragement to parents would be, don't let it be a choice. Don't let it be an option. I hear a lot of times like, well, they don't have any friends there. Well, you want to help your student pick their friends. If you want them surrounded by great people and positive influences, um, I, I, Fuller Institute put out a study on what makes kids' faith stick when they go to college, and three things stood out. One, they said every youth needs five adults outside of their parents' voice speaking into their life, a positive voice um, speaking into their life. We can provide that here. Um, students who serve, their faith is more likely to stick, and so we have opportunities for them to serve. So. And then the last thing is just this idea that students who go to retreats and are involved in worship on a regular basis, it's much more likely to serve, uh, to stick when they go to college. So I would not make it an option. I just. I agree. No, I'm, I'm all in on that. <laughs> okay. Um, this question is for you, Dr. Ellen. How do we let our kids know it is okay to struggle and convince ourselves it is okay to let them fail? That's a great question. And I love the fact that you're asking that question is a really good sign. Um, I think that it's let our kids struggle, struggle and convince ourselves it's okay to let them fail. Right. Um, I think one thing that helps with this is, first of all, just keeping in our minds that our kids, first and foremost, are on this earth by God's design and for his purposes. And so they're ultimately not ours. They're ultimately God's. And he's given them as a gift to our families and um, wants us to steward them well, and we want to steward them well, but ultimately, it's up to God um, to um, fulfill his purposes. And I think that one of the things that we can do that's very powerful for our kids is let them see how we live life with God. 
and through the good and the bad. And I'm not saying we share with our kids all the nitty gritty, but I think we realized when our kids were in junior high that we hadn't shared enough. And when we share with our kids the way, the things that we ask God for ourselves and how God shows up for us, that gives them like permission to, and an example to say, okay, so life's not perfect for mom and dad either. And this is what they do when they struggle because more is caught than taught. And so as they see how we navigate life, they catch a lot of those things. And so if we can show them and talk to them about how God is helping us, and again, you're not going to go through the nitty-gritty. You're going to do it at age-appropriate levels. But to say, hey, I was struggling in this at work, and God helped me. And... Um, and then for our side of it to kind of allow them to go through the struggle, I think goes back to remembering that they're gods, he's got them, and to not let fear creep in because we tend to hover and control more when we're fearful. We're afraid of what's gonna happen and what if their feelings are hurt or what if they get this wrong? But it's okay. Our feelings have been hurt before, and we've done things wrong before, and we're still here, and they will be too. Um, so I think that's that's really good. Let, let me let me add something real quick to that. I, I think with what we've seen with the what they're calling helicopter parents and lawnmower parents, lawnmower parents are the ones who go and mow every obstacle down. But what we've thought is that self-esteem is built by nurturing. Self-esteem is built by challenge not by nurture. So we think if we can protect them from every challenge, we're actually helping their self-esteem. When they're challenged to do things, and we help them walk through exactly what Ellen said, this is how they develop a confidence in life, not by having everything done for them. Mm, real good. Okay, this one, um, this one is, uh, dead out thought to you. It says, obviously I'm not supposed to lash out in anger. How do I remember that I'm in the moment and deal with it in a healthy way? Gosh, why would you ask me that? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I do have a temper. Um, I have, uh, especially when my children were younger, I, I lashed out more than I wanted to. I, I, but I can tell you that if, if you'll stay with God, if you won't give up, he can help you. And I can tell you now, I don't lash out near to the same extent. It's not because I've gotten older. Some people think, oh, you get older, you mellowed. Some people get older and they get meaner. I think it's maturity. And if you'll stay with the Lord, he'll start, he'll start to help you on those things. And then I, I had a wife who prayed for me. And, and that helped me. And when I did lash out, I would also take responsibility for it, and I would apologize to my children and to my wife. And so that puts some accountability back on me. And so it's, it, it's growing, it's, it's, it's learning, learning to live from the inside out as opposed to reacting to everything that goes on. Can I say something? No. <laughs> 
Um, actually, as I prayed for Alan there, what I realized is that it was fear. You know, like what Ellen was saying about fear. It was fear. He expressed fear differently than I did. His fear would come out in anger. Also, the word anger is the same word as sorrow in the scriptures, too. So it could be sorrow, fear that you're expressing. And so really asking the Lord, help me to trust you more. And me praying that for him. And then really beginning to see him, I'm like, wow, you're being so calm. That was like... It was wonderful to see God. A lot of drugs. Yeah, we're yeah. yeah. no, kidding. <laughs> Scratch that. No drugs. Uh, <laughs> these are going to be online. Yeah, these are online. <laughs> All right. No drugs. No drugs. So. <laughs> or alcohol. All right, Mom, th this question's for you. Um, my husband wants a divorce, and I do not. How do I continue to fight for something the other person doesn't want? I think, wow, I'm sorry. That's very, very hard. That is hard. Especially the rejection involved in that, the not feeling loved or valuable when you want to and you love somebody else so much. And I think feeling a lack of love can be extremely painful. You have to ask the Lord, how do I reroute my love at this time? Who can I find who can love me at this time? You can pray and ask God for help. Ask him as you get scriptures, one way the Lord has led me is, what scriptures am I getting? Father, how is this going to end? What can I, but I don't, you don't have authority over somebody else's life. You can't. I've, I've talked to people and I've said, you can't promise, you don't know what he's going to do. If he's going to file for divorce, you have to ask the Lord, Lord, I just ask you to help, help me with that. Um, I don't know if I'm answering that one. It's, it's, it's a tough one, but you're right. You, you can't force someone to do something. You pray, you hold on until, and, until it's over. But, you know, we've seen couples in here whose marriage ended who actually got back together again. And, and so it's no easy answer. No easy answer. I, I will say this. Stay around people who love you and who can support you and encourage you. And, and, and that, that won't, make it, won't make it go away, but it can help mitigate the pain and then just moving closer to the Lord read your Bible pray and ask God help me work in me sometimes you can focus on the other person just say work in me and that will bring you a sense of peace and comfort that may attract them right back to you um, Ellen in our blended family we put God first in our home but the other parents do not how do we teach our children right from wrong without putting down the other set of parents? That's a, it's a great question. That's a great question. And I so appreciate that you're asking the question in that way, that you're not wanting to put the other um, parent down and that environment. And that will speak to your kids. You can still honor each other even when you don't agree. And so I think that just that piece of it is super valuable. So well done there. 
Um, and then I think, you know, our kids, we're equipping them and God is helping us to equip them to live life in a world where everything isn't easy and everybody doesn't always do the right thing. And he wants us as parents to equip our kids to make those wise choices, no matter where they are or who they're with. So they're going to have friends who make unwise choices or don't do the right thing. And so the principle is the same, even if that is another parent's home, that they have to figure out who they're going to be and how they're going to live their life before God. And so we help them to do that even when it's difficult. And we start instilling that. But I think the fact that you're doing that in a way that still honors the other parent is extremely important and valuable. Very wise. Great question. Um, Clayton, I'm a teenager. Yes, you are. (laughs) In a few ways. Only in mind. Yeah. Yeah, wait until you hear the rest of this question. Um, Great. And my parents just gave up on their marriage. How do I navigate loving both of them without getting caught in the middle or choosing sides? That is a really hard question. And one that we pray with students over every single week. Um, I think the thing on behalf of the student um, from a parent's perspective is the more consistency you can provide for them, the better... um, the more of an environment it creates for them to be able to stand strong and, and, and have a sense of peace. Um, but if you're the student, I would challenge you to um, pray for your parents. Um, the Bible calls us to honor them regardless of the choices that they're making. And I think that's the hard part in those situations is mom's house is like this, dad's house is like this. But biblical principle is we honor regardless of what they're doing. And, and the Lord will bless you for that. And so I think if you just... Go into it with a mindset, or parents, if you have students this way, you're equipping them. How do I, how do I honor both parents regardless of the circumstances or situations um, that I'm in? But that's a very difficult one. I think, too, if I could just say something, there is for you as a student to not take responsibility yeah. that's not yours. That's good. And to not take responsibility for the problem nor take responsibility for the solution. You don't have to fix it. Yeah. That's not yours to fix. Mom, what advice would you give to young couples in order to make that relationship last? To make it, to make it young? Yeah, it's newly married. <laughs> Why is this so hard for you? I don't know. <laughs> um, to make it last, our, I, I, I always say the same thing. To me, to make something last. You can tell them to read their Bible and pray, exactly. aren't you? Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> for me, to make something last, make something heartfelt and warm and rich and inviting and interesting for all your life is to really allow God to knit your hearts together by having an individual life with the Lord where the scriptures mean so much to you. You can talk to the Lord and then you can share that with each other. That's, 
that's been the best part of us. Common, common purpose. Uh-huh. A united purpose. Yeah. That there's, there's a reason simply beyond going to work, coming home. Yeah. Raising kids. So we have a purpose that's bigger. And I think for Joy and I, the fact that we, we started off and we, de we determined that we were going to build a life together, but we were going to build it around God and his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And we've never regretted that. We took our children to church. We raised our kids in church. We've never regretted that. And so sometimes to, to other couples, we may have not have appeared to be the exciting couple, but what's happened is our relationship over the years hasn't started at a high point and declined. It started actually fairly low and has grown. And so the, the promise is that there's always hope for the future and that our life together, we're looking forward. And so we've looked forward to every season. But you have to determine values that you're going to live by. You have to determine how you're going to live. And if you determine those ahead of time, then the whims and the pressures and all the stuff of life and it comes, it, it won't move you off course. You stay pretty much on course. And this is how we're going to live our life. We did that before we were pastors. We did it after we were pastors. It, it's, it, the, the church didn't become our life. Our relationship with God was, Does that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, and it wasn't big things we did. It was just everyday life. It's like, how do we make everyday life right. meaningful? A cup of coffee together, a walk. Very simple, but um, very warm. Together. Mm -hmm. And quitting wasn't an option, right? Never was. That's how it makes to no, make no, it, 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 it never was. It, it, it never was. Um, Dad. When you pray for healing and you're not healed immediately, how do you stay in faith? That's a very good question. I think when you pray for healing, sometimes immediate is a miracle. Healing is a recovery. And so I, probably your mom could even answer this one better because I watched, I watched as she was so sick and she wasn't healed immediately, but it was a process. And she got stronger. So the real key is you don't do what the scripture says, cast away your confidence. You don't throw it away, even when it doesn't happen immediately. You just stay with the Lord. And I think one of the, one of the very best ways you can do that is to give God thanks before you ever see a change. And you're, you're thanking him and you're praising him before anything ever turns around. And if you can continue to do that, you will get there. He is faithful. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Ellen, at what age should we talk with our kids about sex? Sooner than you think. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Um, I actually just read a study last week or week before that um, parents were asked what age they thought they should have this conversation and the um, youth pastors and children's pastors were asked the same question. The parents' answer was much higher than the youth and children's pastor um, pastors' answers. So um, I think a great rule of thumb is when they're asking, that you encourage conversations, that there's nothing off limits to talk about, that kids can come and ask you any questions. And we would even tell our kids from a young age that, hey, if you have questions about boys or girls or sex or anything like that, 
we ask that you come to us first before you go to your friends. Mm -hmm. And and we have these conversations and we didn't make it, we tried not to make it awkward. <laughs> um, so to open up that conversation, but then when they come, that you answer their questions. Yeah. And you don't give more than they're asking, but answer their questions. Yeah. And it really is sooner than you think. Yeah. It is. There's an old saying you've heard, um, if you don't tell them, someone else will, right? And by the time they get to middle school, if you haven't told them, someone else already has. And one of the things that I've noticed the most that has shifted is they don't have to ask mom and dad anymore. They don't have to ask friends anymore. They can, in the room, say, hey, Google. <laughs> and so they're saying that, all of the answers are coming from the outside in. And so if your student is in middle school, I hear this all the time. I thought I had a couple of more years before we needed to have this discussion. And that kind of thinking is what creates a little bit of a almost, oh man, it's too late. If that's you though, we've been talking about this, it's never too late. So if you feel like, man, I have an 18-year-old and they've already you know, gone down this path, it's not too late to have the conversation now. Um, so have that conversation. It is difficult and it is hard, but it is one of the most talked about things among our students. And you guys know we live in a very hyper-sexualized culture. And so being the voice of reason to speak into it um, is, is key. Dad, while you're believing for God to work things together for good, what do you do while you're waiting Good question. I, I, think the, I, I think this is where you see in the scriptures the Bible talk about perseverance. And it talks about perseverance because everything that happens in our life is not instantaneous. And so the, the, the objective of staying in and, and continuing and being, you hear that there's an old scriptural term called steadfast, but, but being steadfast so I, I think one of the things, and I actually alluded to it with because with, it's related to the last question. If you can maintain a grateful heart in the middle of it, then that's going to help the people around you see that you're not miserable while you're waiting for God to do something, that you're remaining grateful, and it'll help you. And, and so keeping that, you know, you, I know you want to comment on that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> actually, and... Uh, in addition to that is just speaking the scripture. If the Lord's given you a verse. And pray. Yeah, I'm yeah and pray. I, knew you, I, I, just, I just thought I'd share that before you did. Go ahead. It's <laughs> all my answers. Yeah. Know. <laughs> but speaking a verse over and over and over again, you may not think it's working, but God's words are spirit and life. Yeah. God's words are medicine. And the Bible even says it's like a hammer. So it, keep, it breaks through a situation. You don't think so. It's so little it's so simple, you can miss it. But speaking that word, sometimes if I haven't been able to sleep, I'll get up, I'll have a scripture come into me, I'll speak that word out, and I know that healing is working in my body. Because in that word is healing. In that word is freedom. In that word is my peace. And so with that, you can even praise God for a word. Thank you, Lord, that the healing power of God's at work in me, bringing about a healing and a cure. Thank you that you're my peace and you're my comforter. I thank you for that. That keeps you strong, and that's, I think, enduring to the end until you see that. Two things you want to watch, too. Watch your joy level and your peace level. Mm -hmm. uh, 
In Romans, it talks about, may the God of hope fill you with all hope in believing, that fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so your joy and your peace, when, when you realize that joy is starting to dip or you've lost peace, it's the time to back up and go, Lord, I have, I have lost peace, I've lost joy, I need to, I need to get that stirred up again. Yeah. And, and those, those two things are helpful. I, again, I think a lot of times we look for very simple answers when it's often a process. But if you'll buy into the process, what Joy said, speaking life, praising God, keeping, keeping these things, the, the, together they really begin to build a, a, a fabric of strength in your life and you're able to push through some of the challenging times. Clayton, this is the last question. We're going to field it to you. How do we help our teenager rebuild trust once trust has been lost? That's a good question. Um, how do you build, rebuild trust once it's been lost? I think it starts before the trust. Let, let's put it on two terms. I think it starts before trust has been lost. But again, it's never too late to start. I think the conversational piece. In Psalm 78, it says we have to share with the next generation the glorious deeds of God. And at the very end, he says, with a skillful hand, you guide them. And I think the conversations that take place is what creates this atmosphere of trust between you and your student. And so I think the more you can spend time with your student, um, just letting them talk without starting World War III or just letting them process or bring something important, I think that's how trust is regained. Often we think the student has to do something to re-earn my trust, but what if on our end as parents or youth pastors, it's how can I rebuild the trust by just creating those fabric, the strength of fabric in our relationship? When, um, when a child is five, um, you have a lot of positional authority in their life. Why, do you, why can't you do that? Because I'm the dad and I said so. But when they become a teenager, which is often the time we feel like we've lost trust, it's a lot of relational authority in their life or a lot of relational influence. So I'm 30 years old. I call my dad and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying this car. You know, what do you think? Well, I'm 30. I don't have to call my dad and ask him that question. But I want to because there's a relationship there that has been built. And that provides trust from me to them, which allows me to then have a sense of trust back with them because we have that intimacy or that closeness uh, of our relationship. So t dads, take your kids to get donuts for 99 cents on a Friday and have breakfast with them before you drop them off at school once a week. Just do whatever you can to build a relationship that says you care because students want to know that you care. That's great. That's and good. Just, just as a note, a lot of times conversations aren't taking place because uh, everyone's on their phones. Yeah. And so if you could just have some no phone time for the parents as well as for the students and just say, phone's down, you can live without it for an hour. Mm -hmm. And conversation <laughs> can take place. <laughs> and that's my okay boomer comment. So. <laughs> Let me take a moment and just uh, to give an invitation. We always do this every year, every service. But if you came today and you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with God. I can't build my life or my relationship or my family on God because he's not even a part of my life. He wants to be a part of your life. And so we're going to say a very simple prayer. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front.
but sitting in your chair, if you've never, or you're not sure about your relationship with the Lord, or maybe you realize, man, I used to walk with God and I've walked away from him and my heart has grown cold, but I don't want it to be that way. We want to, we want to give you an opportunity. We're going to pray. We want to give you an opportunity to make that connection. So I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And we'll be out of here in just a moment. If everyone can just stay, stay seated just for a bit. If you're here today and you say, you know, Alan, I don't have a relationship. Or I'm not sure about my relationship with the Lord, but I want to be. Or I, I used to have and I walked away from God, but I, man, I want back in. I, I want to have that closeness there. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I'm only going to ask you to do one thing. Not stand up, but simply slip your hand up across the, the auditorium and say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? I want to have a relationship and I don't. Or I have one out. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate your honesty and your courage. Yeah, way in the back. I got you. Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, I see you. Thank you. Wonderful. You put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand and, and thought, oh, I really wanted to do that. I missed it. That's okay. You can pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray it out loud as a church family. I'll lead you in it. You pray it along, along with us. This is it's a heart prayer. So pray it from your heart. What the, what the heart man believes, what the mouth confession is made to salvation. So pray this out loud with us. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. So right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. I want to pray for the, for the individuals, for the families that are struggling. And obviously we can't cover all the needs and all the things that have taken place today. But our heart for you and desire for you is that you can have a life with God, that you will grow stronger, and that you would make a difference, starting with your family. So, Father, I pray for those today, those who are dealing with some horrible things, those who are dealing with some family strife and trauma, those who are dealing with the rejection and pain of divorce, those, Father, who are hurting today. I thank you for your life and for your hope and for your help and for the fact that you care deeply. Father, for those who everything is going well, we rejoice in that. You've been good and gracious to us, and we acknowledge you as the source of our hope and strength. Father, we thank you today for all you're doing in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.